Well, welcome everyone to Sunday service at Ananda Village and a special welcome to those of you who are here for the first timers retreat at the Expanding Light. I am Tiagi Lisa and this is Tiagi Peter and we're happy to be here with you today. So our reading this morning from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Today's topic is, what is the best way to pray? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ and Sri Krishna both advised praying to God as personal, yet both emphasized also that God is above form and that he must be sought ultimately in infinity. As Jesus put it, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Yet he spoke of God constantly as our Heavenly Father. In what is known as the Lord's Prayer, he proposed a very human prayer to the Heavenly Father, asking fulfillment for all our spiritual needs. The Bhagavad Gita explains that man, living as he does in a human body, finds it difficult to worship infinity, as though the ego and body didn't even exist. Far better for human beings, Krishna says, to work with reality as we know it, than to affirm a reality of which the human mind is incapable of clear, uh, forming any clear notion. Encouraging the devotee in this direction, he says, O Arjuna, be thou a yogi. That is to say, be one who works with, not in rejection of, the energies of the body and the natural tendencies of the mind. In the twelfth chapter of the Gita, Arjuna asks, Those who, ever steadfast, worship thee as devotees, that is to say, in an I and thou relationship, and those who contemplate thee as the immortal, unmanifested spirit, which group is the better versed in yoga? The blessed Lord replied, Those who, fixing their minds on me, adore me, ever united to me through supreme devotion, are in my eyes the perfect knowers of yoga. Those whose strict aim is union with the unmanifested, choose a more difficult way. Arduous for embodied beings is the path of dedication to the absolute, the followers, that is to say, of the path of jnana yoga. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. This is from Paramahanta Yogananda's book, Whispers from Eternity. These are mystical poems and prayer demands. This one is, demand find God at any time, anywhere. <coughs> Teach me, O Father, to find thee in the cave of my heart, that I may walk with thee everywhere. Teach me to hear thee in silence, that I may hear thy voice beneath outer noises. Teach me to find thee an inner peace 
that I may be with thee calmly in the midst of outer tumult, hubbub or silence, tumult or peace. I care not, so long as thou wilt teach me to find thee anywhere at any time. <clears throat> Last night I sat down to um, make up my outline for today's talk. And I'd actually been thinking about this topic um, all week. Um, how to, what's the best way to pray? And I had a pretty good idea in my mind uh, what would be good to cover, what would be good to say. And, but when I sat down to, at my desk last night to write, um, I thought, well, you know, I'll just pray ahead of time and I'll just ask Master to guide my thoughts so that um, I prepare the talk he would like me to prepare. And I had a very odd experience. Um, immediately, a different thought about today's talk came into my mind, and I scribbled as fast as I could for about five minutes. And I wrote the entire talk out in outline form. And I remember I was staring at the page, which didn't look anything like what I'd been planning all week. Um, and I actually said out loud, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and Patricia, who was nearby, heard me say that. And she said, is everything OK? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, but this is so much better than what I'd planned. <laughs> and I thought right as I said that, you know, I think that's what the seeker of God, after a lifetime of thinking on God and praying to God, feels as life closes is, this is so much better than what I planned. <clears throat> a life lived asking for God's assistant, uh, assistance, a life lived trying to attune ourselves to God um, in a very direct and immediate way is so much better than what our human minds could ever hope or plan for. You know, I was thinking about this issue that on the one hand, we have God's consciousness, which fills the entire universe. It is in every bit of matter across billions of light years, a hundred billion uh, galaxies, um, even on our planet. It helps animate billions of souls. And thinking that how remarkable that is, and yet when we need God's assistance and we ask for it and we pray to God, that there's this immediate and very personal response to, per to precisely what we need. And it seemed almost um, a very strange dichotomy. How can God be this universal spirit in creation and even beyond creation? And yet, when I, my little self, need help, he's there for me in a way that I can recognize in exactly the way that I need my assistance. And it actually reminded me of one of the dilemmas in quantum physics. Remember, quantum physics is the science of the very small. We get down to the level where we're talking about neutrons and protons at the nucleus of an atom and a cloud of electrons around it. I know 
uh, probably for many of you, when you were getting your education and were much younger, we even talked about the little electrons as almost like BB-like particles whirling around this, um, this uh, the center of the atom, the nucleus. Well, one of the things that we have come to understand is that these electrons, because they're so tiny, actually have dual, um, dual natures. On the one hand, they behave like particles, but they also behave like waves. So kind of put this in perspective, if you were standing in a pond with uh, water up to your knees and you dropped a rock right in front of you, well, you'd see ring-like waves come out from that. You could even look down at your knees and the waves would come along and you could see some of the waves rebound off your knees and head back in the other direction, just behaving like a normal wave would. Well. That's very different than the way a particle is. You could think of a particle almost like a baseball. Someone throws a baseball to you. It's very different than the way a wave behaves. And yet for these little electrons, in fact, they encapsulate both properties simultaneously. Here's where it gets really weird, is that when you're not trying to observe it, the uh, electron behaves like a wave. But at the moment you choose to look at it, you can actually measure its location and its velocity, or what we describe as its momentum, as though it were a particle. So here we have this wave-like phenomenon when we're not looking at it, but when we go to observe it, it stills down and gels into a, uh, a particle that we can actually measure its location with its uh, velocity. Well, as many things are in physics, when they have a really big problem that doesn't make any sense, they give it a very understated name. They call it the measurement issue. It's a little bit like uh, looking at a roadway that has been washed out by a giant flood and someone saying, oh, we have a highway issue. Well, this is kind of a major problem. <laughs> And to this day, physicists are still trying to figure out how is it possible that these behave like particles only when we look at them and we're observing them. And it kind of reminded me of this same dilemma that we have in trying to see how our interaction with God is. On the one hand, it's this vast consciousness that animates everything, but when we have our inner conversation with God, it's very real, it's very personal, and it's in a way that is unique to us. I know I always like to say, um, all of us on this planet, we're all neurological snowflakes. We all have unique nervous systems. And in part because of that, we're all spiritually unique. No one on this, uh, in the history of this world will ever have a spiritual path exactly like yours. We're all unique. We all work with our own nervous system in this process of understanding our relationship with God. Well, here's a curious thing about this. There's um, a whole uh, group of physicists who have answered this question of, well, how is it possible that it becomes a particle only when we look at it? is they've realized it must be that when we look at it, we become part of the wave aspect of the electron. And so it looks like a particle to us. 
And I thought, this is actually a very nice answer to the question of, well, how is this vast consciousness somehow oriented to us? It's that when we're in attunement with God's vibration, suddenly it's perfect for us. And that's why prayers that are offered with devotion and a real attitude of grant me attunement, help me understand my life from the point of view of God realization and you flowing through me. My desire is to do what you would like me to do, not what I think my uh, likes or dislikes or my plan, my personal plan for my life should be. How would you like to guide my life? And suddenly there's the assistance and there's the aid. You know, it's, um, it's a curious thing. I've noticed this, that our best prayers tend to be the ones where we've had to raise our level of energy more up to the levels of the masters and God. That half-handed prayers, uh, prayers, half-hearted prayers, prayers that are offered without much energy, they'll get a response, but it will not be as much as if you put your consciousness one-pointedly on God and ask with the certainty that God's response will be there. Christ said to his disciples, and I'll paraphrase this, he said, God knows what you need even before you ask for uh, anything. And this kind of brings us to the topic of time. I think for all of us, we view time in a very linear fashion. There's a distinct past, there's the present that we're living in right now, and there's a future which we have not experienced yet. And for example, you can probably remember back to a time when you were 10 years old and you scratched your knee and you could even look down right now and still see a faint little scar on your knee that in fact that happened. And in fact, the scar has changed over years, so it's a scar that has aged many, many years. And you can even remember what you were doing yesterday, what you had for breakfast this morning, and um, maybe how your car was driving when you were driving over here to come to Sunday service. Um, and that's very different than right now. And it's clear that there are things that have not happened yet. So we have this linear focus of time. If we pull back from it and look at time the way God's consciousness looks at it, and I would include in this the way uh, the consciousness of someone like Yogananda is able to look at this, that they see time as more of a uh, homogenous block where it starts at the beginning of creation all the way back at the origin of the universe all the way out to the very end. And time exists simultaneously throughout this entire block. So I've, you've probably all, all had this experience where you can be looking at a video on your computer screen and there's a little red dot at the bottom on a line where you can move backward and forward in the talk. If there's a part you want to hear again or you want to move forward because this part isn't very interesting, you can kind of slide along. Well, imagine a master's consciousness that that's really what they can do with time. 
is, in fact, Master said this. He said, when you're in these higher states of consciousness, the one he was talking about in this case was samadhi, where you have uh, a reunification with essentially the consciousness of God as it is uh, animate throughout the universe. So you can feel every particle of matter in the universe. But he also makes this other comment. He calls it, you feel the thoughts of all men, past, present, to come. And that always struck me because it gets at this concept of time that for God, it's all happening simultaneously. And he's fully aware of the, the outline of our lives as they go forward and what we will need. I know I've had this experience uh, in my medical practice uh, a number of times where I've had a patient that I don't know quite what I should do with. Something is very quirky about their care. It's not making sense to me. Um, I may have even already prayed about it. I've certainly, when I'm in there with the patient and don't know what to do, my default is usually to um, pray and ask, I'm out of ideas. Do you have any ideas for me, God? Please help me with this. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I'll have looked ahead at my schedule. I realize that patient's coming in, and I also recognize I have no idea what I'm going to say to that patient um, because I'm kind of out of ideas. And part of my morning routine is, while I'm drinking my morning coffee, is I read my medical journals. Um, and it takes me about 15, 20 minutes every morning. And I can't tell you how many times right when I'm doing that, knowing that patient is coming in, there's an article that answers the very question I was looking for. And you have to understand, this could be something very arcane, very unusual, and for it to show up in this journal, that means a researcher had to be thinking about it 10 or 15 years ago, doing all the research, getting it published, and it finally gets summarized and put as a little paragraph in an email that I'm getting that morning, just in time for me to go talk to the patient. And every time this has happened, I just shake my head because it kind of puts in perspective my part of the equation, which ends up being very small. It's just making sure I actually pay attention and do my part of it. But the real key of making everything work, God is very much taking care of for me. You know, in the last year, I've been doing um, an advanced uh, fellowship uh, for physicians uh, down at UC Davis. We're here in, uh, outside Nevada City, California, and UC Davis is in Sacramento. And most of this fellowship, um, fortunately, we're able to do it by webinar, so we can do it online. But this has been in psychiatry and behavioral health. And one of the the most helpful things I've gotten out of this course is a much, um, a, much more a much more effective way of talking to patients when the issues with them are very unclear and you're having trouble answering their needs. They need to make a big change with their life. This could be around something like uh, a health issue, like managing their diabetes, or maybe they're depressed and they don't know why they're depressed. Um, and so it's a whole way of talking to people 
that is very effective that they train us in. And it has a name, it's called motivational interviewing, but it has three components to it. And what this morning when I was thinking on this, I realized, well, this is kind of how we are when we're praying well. So let me go through these things, and I think you're going to see that this is wonderful for me talking to a patient, but this has a lot to say about how we can talk to God. So the first lesson is, when you're talking to a patient, lean in. What they mean is, don't physically kind of lean in so you're, you know, you're four <laughs> inches from their face. It's the tendency, let's say someone's very agitated, let's say they're upset, maybe they're really distressed about something. Um, the tendency, I think human nature, is to want to back up a little bit or maybe cover up a little bit, cross your hands, cross your, at least cross your feet um, to protect yourself a little bit. And while you're talking to them, kind of have your, your interpersonal shields up so you can talk with them, but you don't get hurt with this negative energy. I mean, that's really kind of human nature. And what they're saying by lean in is drop all your defenses, um, put your hands on the table, so you don't, or you're not busy writing, you're not distracted with a computer or anything, put your hands on the table and focus on the patient and make sure all your awareness, everything that you're thinking about is directed to that patient and the patient can feel that. They feel that you have all their attention, you have nothing else that is distracting you. So that's that concept of kind of leaning in. Um, and patients feel that. You know, they can feel that you're there with them in their problem. You know, it's such an interesting thing to me because um, the second part of this is that your interaction has to be filled with compassion and empathy. Well, of course that makes sense, but it's very easy, particularly with someone who's distressed or upset, to want to pull back a little bit and, yes, offer them empathy, but to kind of guard your own boundaries a little bit. And really this technique is one of you don't have any boundaries up. And you just are kind of there with them in this very uncomfortable state for them. They may be sobbing, they may be angry, they may be pounding on the table. And yet you're just calm, centered within, but entering into that reality with them. I know the experience for me is, particularly when I'm someone who's really agitated, it almost feels like walking into the center of an active volcano, except you're wearing this special little suit where you don't get burned. So you can walk right into the center of the volcano and lava is flying all around you and it's hot and it's horrible and I should get incinerated, but I'm not. In fact, it's, wow, I'm right here in the middle of it and it's okay. And that's what this experience is like when you're very empathetic, very compassionate with someone, is that you're right in the middle of this. You can feel, you can feel their nervous system just reverberating with these negative thoughts and very dysphoric feelings. And you, and you can feel that, but it doesn't affect your core. So you're much more likely to offer something helpful to that person if you know precisely what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. And the last thing is do less than half the talking. I found this very interesting. You know, I think 
for many of us in, uh, in medicine, we often feel, you know, people are coming to us for advice. So they say, here's my problem, and we give them advice. And very often that model does not work. And that's part of the reason they were training us in this, is to help us have a different way of working with our patients when kind of our standard model like that is not working. And really to make it more of a dialogue and to force the patient to come up with part of the answer. Even if you just have to say, gee, I, I just don't know what to tell you. I I'm really feel what you're going through right now. I don't know how well I would deal with it, but I don't know what the answer is. What do you think? And then shut up <laughs> and let them talk. It, the temptation, of course, would be to say, um, oh, I know exactly what you should do. Do this and this and this, take this pill, and I'll see you in six weeks, and uh, don't let the, har the door bump you on the way out. And we're all done. And uh, the patient kind of wanders away and goes, what was that? What, ha what just happened? I don't really understand that. I don't think this is going to work. Um, much more likely if you've drawn them in and made them be part of the answer, that they will actually come up with something that they will do and be part of and really understand it, come away understanding it. You know, I thought these three points, boy, this is a real good lesson for us as human beings about how we pray. Um, that when we pray, lean in. Be focused on God, be focused on the object of our prayer, and be there 100% that we're not holding anything back, we're not trying to think about what's going to happen tomorrow, we're not thinking about, oh, you know, I've got to go get this thing done and eat dinner and take a bath and all these other things I have to do and my big list of to-dos for the week or this other recreational thing I'd like to go do. We try to put all that aside. So when we pray, we lean in on our there 100% with our energy. Next, we involve our heart just like we do in motivational interviewing with a patient where we're doing compassion and empathy, empathy with the patient, here we're involving the feeling nature of our heart. And when we ask, it's not just a, an intellectual ask. Um, Gee, God, it would be great if I had a parking space here. Um, Gee, I guess I'd kind of like to have a better job or maybe more money or a good relationship. Um, really to ask with our heart engaged. And that seems to be the secret ingredient is when our heart and our feeling nature gets engaged. That that help draw, helps draw this response from God. It's part of this process of attunement of us raising our energy to the level of God's energy where he can actually work with us and help us. And the last thing is, do less than half the talking. That yes, we should ask. Yes, we should be clear about what we think our needs are, but we've got to listen. And listening includes not just while you're praying, but afterwards, afterwards looking for God's response. I often find one of the most helpful things to remember is if you've asked for something, to be alert that you may get the answer, and it may come in a very unusual form. Um, just like me sitting down at my computer looking at my inbox for my uh, articles for the day, 
And, but I've, I've learned I should pay attention to that because there may be, there may be this Easter egg there waiting for me that's going, to, that's going to help one of my patients. And we need to be that way with our life after we've sent this prayer out to the infinite, sent this prayer out to, um, out to God, asking for this assistance, we need to be looking for the manifestation that, of that in our lives around us. I think just the last thing I'd like to remind us all on is no matter what your prayer, all of us are worthy to offer that prayer. Sometimes in talking to people, I'll hear them say, you know, this is one area I, I am such a failure in, I don't even feel I can, can pray about it. I'm such a flop that even asking for help seems presumptuous because I've shown repeatedly I can't do this. And I actually think when we pray with humility in that situation where we really have failed at something, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's in the area of service that we have, maybe it's, um, maybe it's in our ability to stay focused on the spiritual path. I think when we pray to God, but we do it in a way that demonstrates that in all humility we would like to be different in that action we have made ourselves worthy to offer that prayer. So I always suggest it's, it's fine to offer prayers for um, more minor things in your life. You know, need, if you need help with your uh, a health issue or um, something minor, definitely praying for other people is helpful. But remember, our highest prayer is always going to be when we pray for God to come to us himself. In whatever form is closest to our heart, if you're someone who prays to God as Divine Mother, um, or you pray to God in the manifestation of a specific saint, um, be on the lookout for God's response. Uh, every prayer we utter, even the minor ones, eventually get, gets answered. I know once I had this discussion with Swami about praying, and uh, at the end of it, he said, you know, probably the biggest problem is not what you pray for, but it's being careful about what you pray for because every prayer is going to get answered. So just remember, you have to be careful about what you want because you will get it. If you pray for it, you're going to get it. So make sure your prayers are good quality and ones that are going to bring to you the things that your heart truly wants. God bless us all. Lord Most High, our Heavenly Father, all our lives we dedicate to Thee, all our labors, all our joys and woes, all our pleasure, all our melody. Make us each a channel of thy peace. When in darkness, guide us from above. Where there's sorrow, may we sow thy joy. Where there's hatred, may we share thy love. Lord, most high, our heavenly Father, 
reach a channel of thy peace. When in darkness, guide us from above. Whether sorrow, may we sow thy joy. Where there's hatred, may we share.